from AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. This is LaughBox, the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. Here's your host, Chip Lutz. Here we are, ready for Laugh Box. I don't know about you, but my year is kicking. I got some stuff going on. I am stoked. I'm stoked to be back with you for another exciting episode of the podcast. And this week, um, great interview with Mallory DeSalle. Um, we talk a lot about a lot of different things. Talk about how to communicate a little better, how to help people through change, how she uses humor in an educational setting. And I got to meet Mallory at the conference last year, and you're gonna really dig her energy. I, mean, I, I thoroughly enjoy talking to her, and I know you will enjoy listening as well. And if you wanna meet Mallory this year, just come to the conference, the 4th through the 7th of April, 2019, in Chicago. Go to aath.org for more information. Now, enjoy. Well, hello, friends, and welcome to Laugh Box. This is Chip Lutz, and this is the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. And today, and today only, well, actually, it'll be in perpetuity because I get to talk to, you know, you get to like, I could listen to it multiple times, but I get to talk to her just today. I get to talk to Mallory DeSalle. And what's cool about Mallory is um, she's got so many letters after her name. I mean, so like when I saw it, it's almost, it's kind of intimidating because like, like, in the in the industrial world, the more keys you have, the more important you are. And like in the the re- other part of the world, the more letters you have to your name, the smarter you are. And I was like, man, she's got so many letters after her name. She is so smart. So I'm a little intimidated to talk to Mallory today, but I'm going to welcome her to the podcast. Welcome, my friends. Yay! I made it. Thanks, Chip. <laughs> you know what they don't tell you about those letters behind your name is actually those are all of my diagnoses. So, <laughs> those that's, are, that's, you know, you can add ADHD, um, you can add LOL, maybe even MOM after my name. All of those are my conditions. That so, is awesome. Don't feel intimidated at all. <laughs> you should really add MOM on there because you are a mom. That would be awesome if you put a little mom on there. That would be funny. And people, <laughs> hey, what does that stand for? And they'd be like, that stands for Birth. childbirth. <laughs> stick yeah, that, <laughs> stick that in your stirrups and smoke it. Right. <laughs> well, I try not to smoke as a mom, you know, it's where I draw the line, but right. You got to, uh, you got to put it somewhere. So, Hey, for our <laughs> listeners, if you give them like the four one one on who Mallory is. Oh my gosh. Okay. Four one one. My name is Mallory DeSalle. I live in the wonderful town of Bloomington, Indiana, and I am a humor professional. I am a mom and I am a counselor. And I am excited to be here with the one and only Chip today to talk about it. It's going to be well, great. I am not the one and only Chip. I actually know a few other Chips. <laughs> um, actually, I'm connected, to, I'm connected to another Chip Lutz on Facebook. It's really kind of a weird story because, you know, I, thought, I found him on Facebook. And I thought, man, it'd be so cool to be friends with myself. So I friended him and he accepted. <laughs> and then one day I'm flying into Denver and I pull up Facebook and I get a message from the other Chip Lutz. He's like, hey, my Chip senses are tingling. You must be coming to Denver. I'm like, I am. 
And so turns out, turns out he works for an AV company. And so for the hotel I was speaking at, his company did all the AV work for it. So they were saying, oh, our keynote speakers, Chiplots. And they're like, well, we have a (laughs) Chiplots. So I got to meet the other Chiplots, right? And it was crazy because we're about the same height, same build. We both, you know, born the same year, both graduated in 1986, both joined the Navy right after graduation. Right. So it was just kind of weird. And then I met his girlfriend and, you know, they'd been dating a while. And I said, well, if you'd met this chip, let's, um, Ari would have put a ring on it. I, and, um, that's you know, how- chip, were you just carrying around a life-size mirror? I just got to ask you that right now. Cause maybe- no, I do. I do do that because <laughs> I am, I am quite infatuated with myself. <laughs> Um, I think it's a, I think it's important to give yourself positive reinforcement in a mirror. Well, I just would think that it would get kind of awkward because when you like your own post on Facebook, do you ever feel sort of uncomfortable with that when you're like, I'm going to like that chip? No, it's not really all that weird. What's weird is like, you know, uh, wiping all the lip prints off the mirror when I'm, you know, done looking at myself. (laughs) That's, that's a little embarrassing. Yeah, I could see that. that, You know? Oh, Mallory, you're so much fun. So I want to talk about what you do out there in Bloomington, Indiana. Before we get going, I'm just going to ask you a random question just to get our conversational juices flowing. So, Mallory. Yes. So if, um, I'll I'll, I'll ask you this. So um, if you could be any animal, what animal would Mallory be? Holy cow. That is a really great question. I've only had 12 seconds to think about it. So I am going to say a monkey. Okay. And I'm going to say a monkey because I'm actually staring at one right now. And so it was the only answer that was given to me. I was actually hoping that you were going to ask me like, what kind of ninja would you be? Because that is an answer I use far more regularly. Um, Is it really? Yeah. Like I would be an ice cream ninja. I would always sneak up and rescue all the ice cream and all of that. But I would be a monkey because monkeys are always laughing. They are super flexible um, and they always have family around them. And I would love that. That would be so Yeah. Fun. And if you're a monkey, it's okay to like play with your own poo. That I forgot about that. Okay. I need a new answer. I would be. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We digress. I'm sorry. I had to bring up poo because I'm perpetually five years. I'm perpetual five years old. So (laughs) tell me a little bit about, uh, for our listeners, you know, know, what do you do there? You know, because I know that you have, like I said, I was just kind of like Josh and a little bit about all the letters after your name, but you do have a lot of different certifications and you do do a lot of work, you know, important stuff down there at um, Indiana University. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, uh, (laughs) what's your, what's your gig down there? I mean, what, uh, what, what do all those letters mean? Oh, gosh. Okay, so I work, my initials behind my name are MA, which though most people call me Ma, um, it's a master's degree in counseling. I am a licensed mental health counselor. I am a nationally certified counselor, a clinical certified mental health counselor. I am a medication assisted treatment specialist and I am an internationally certified prevention specialist. Wow. 
which just means that I pay a lot of annual dues every year. <laughs> That's what I found with certifications too, is that, you know, it's not enough just to get the initial one, you know, they got to get you every year, you know, it's like, Hey, it's time to, it's time to research that. I'm like, I didn't really use it this last year. Can I just, I know. Uh, can I can have like I get a refund for like the two months that I didn't do any prevention work or it's like Netflix. They just keep withdrawing the money every month. It sort of feels unfair, but whether you use it or not. That's why I always have to catch up on Netflix. I don't even know what I did with my time before Netflix. I have no yeah. idea. Well, and that's the thing, like with my certifications, I just binge therapy. And so that way it just works. <laughs> that is so yeah, funny. So it's perfect. Okay, all, all kidding aside. So um, what is it, I mean, your, your position down there, IU, because um, yeah. I know like as a counselor, I mean, it's got to be, you know, one pretty riveting, but you train counselors as well. I mean, that's so exactly it. Yeah. Most of my work is not clinical in nature any longer. I used to travel from house to house and see young people and their families who were uh, dealing with mental health or substance use conditions. And now what I do is I train other medical or behavioral health or educators or even dentists or police officers, parents. I teach them how to have conversations about change with their loved ones or their clients or their patients. And that is a strategy to help increase someone's intrinsic desire to, to make those changes and to do it well. And I find that including humor in both learning and in serious conversations can be a good way of breaking the ice. It can be a good way of building trust. And plus, just makes my job a whole lot more fun. Yeah, that's so true. So true. Well, I mean, I, I think there's some value because I mean, obviously you're talking to, you know, you know, professional people out there about how to, you know, you know, talk to people in their family, but you know, what are some of those facets of, you know, the, of just, you know, humor aside, I mean, obviously we can, we'll get into that, but when you're, you know, training them on how to have those conversations, what are some of the pieces that make a conversation like that work? Cause I know that, you know, looking at, you know, say whether I'm talking to my kids, you know, I, I have certain strategies I use for each of them, but you know, what are some things that you do to, you you know, help them start those conversations. Because to me, I mean, sometimes the hardest part of any conversation are the first words. You got it. And what I love about what you just said, Chip, is that you have different strategies for each of your kiddos. And that might be the one best thing to say to the people who are learning from me, that you can't use the same thing with every person. And you really have to be yourself. That's the first thing. Be yourself mm -hmm. and start with partnership. You always have to be on equal grounds with someone if you're going to have a conversation. What do you What do you mean by that? Because certainly, like in like in the workplace or in a professional setting, there is a tad bit of psychological size there. You know what I mean? Oh. Where you know one person seems a little bigger than the other person. So, sure. yeah, how, how do you decrease that so you are on an equal plane? Well, you know, it really takes a lot of practice to be honest with you because whether you're a counselor and you're meeting with a client or whether you're a supervisor and you're meeting with a colleague, there actually is a difference in the workplace. You are quote unquote higher ranking or you have power in some way. Mm -hmm. And you really have to find a way of saying, I am in this together with you. Yes, I might have a different role in this. And at the same time, we are walking this path 
together. And it's how you respond to things. It's by not giving your opinion. It's by inviting them to share their opinion and really reflecting that you hear it and you understand them. And by showing empathy and compassion towards their perspective. If we pretend like their struggles aren't real, then that's going to only reinforce that they aren't as important as us. What, what, but we, what if their struggles really aren't real? <laughs> <laughs> what if we walk around with a mirror and... <laughs> it's like, it's no? like, like you're, you're talking to you like, you know, that's not a real thing. Just shut up. <laughs> Go back to work. Well, you know, that is actually would be a great role play, right? <laughs> For you to say, um, let's just say, Chip, how about we do it right now? You tell me a, a fake problem. Just tell, make up a problem, Chip. Uh, make up a problem, Chip. Yeah, what's I, a am, fake I, I am a problem. Um, no, you aren't. Like between between who? Like me and somebody else, or me and you? Um, between you and me. Let's okay, make up me a problem you. that is couldn't be real. Couldn't be real. Um, I uh, think that uh, every time you talk to me, you're really mean, and um, uh, I secretly I have a voodoo doll at home that I stab. Um, when I get home after being with you all day, I have a, Ma I have a Mallory doll, a fake, a fake, uh, problem. <laughs> this, is, this is a feeling a little too real. Okay. So pretending that that's fake. Um, if I were not partnering with you, Chip, I would say, no, no, you don't wrong. I'm not mean. And no. Mm -hmm. And how do you feel about that? Chip? I would, I would step the doll even more we'll just stab the doll and then it would become real right yeah. exactly <laughs> i hate you mallory exactly <laughs> now if i was partnering and you came to me and said you know mallory when i talk to you i really feel like you're hard on me and kind of mean and if i were able to take that in and partner with you i'd say wow that must have taken a lot of courage for you to tell me and i didn't realize that this is how you were feeling yeah, well, well, it's um, interesting what you just said there is that, you know, for you, you in this fake scenario, or, you know, for me, my, well, I should say for me, my first, uh, I can get defensive really fast. If somebody yeah. would come up and say something like that, well, I think you're really mean. I'm like, well, I think you're an asshole. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, it, I, that, you know, my, fir my first would be like, what do you talk about? You know, so, you know, just, you know, being, I guess, more in receive mode, you know, yeah. might help a little bit on that, I guess. Um, and then, um, what if you, the person isn't brave enough to come and, you know, say like, you know, I'm not, you know, like brave enough to come up and actually say something to you about that, but you're kind of sensing that mm -hmm. there's a disconnect between you and I, that uh, I'm kind of standoffish. I'm always giving you the uh, stink eye when, you know, you notice like you, you <laughs> out of the corner of your eye that I, I'm looking at you like I hate you. Um, I so, hate face, face. Yes, I'm yes. So, you know, you know, in that, and you oh. being, say, the person with a little bit bigger size, how would you approach that um, right. with me to try to diffuse the situation or find out what's going on with me? Yeah, that's a perfect time to really put on your, what I call the mindset of motivational interviewing. Motivational interviewing is the skill that I train people in. And I would get First of all, I would ask, would it be okay if we could speak? Um, because I'd like to ask permission first before mm -hmm. I approach. And that really honors your autonomy, Chip, that you actually get to be in charge, even though there is a, a distance in power. 
And that is a small request uh, and would it be okay? But it is an empowering request. Mm -hmm. And by giving that autonomy to you, hopefully that will help increase the chances that you'll gain some courage. Then I have to take the lower side. I have to say, you know, I know that it can be challenging to talk to someone who's in charge when you're feeling uncomfortable. I just want to let you know that if there is something you're concerned about, I would be happy to listen more. And oh. just open the conversation. And if they don't want to talk, go. And it's okay if you don't want to. And, and let it be and give them the time and space to think about it. Okay. So you wouldn't want to take an approach like when you go up and talk to like, Hey, I know I'm pretty magnif- magnificent and the light, <laughs> the light I shine, you know, completely drowns out, you know, everything else in the room. However, um, I just want to give you this opportunity to bask in my glory and share right. what you're thinking with me. Yeah. You know, I would love to give you an opportunity to tell me how awesome I am. And if you could just rub my back while you're doing that, yeah, that'd be please. great. Touch my cloak and be healed. Exactly. (laughs) Here's my ring. You may kiss it now. That's funny. Well, because I mean, I like that approach. Well, I like that approach because, like I said, sometimes the first, the first words out of any, uh, in any, like any contentious, any difficult conversation, sometimes are the the most difficult for me. And like Mm -hmm. you know, I like the asking permission first. And like what I've always used, and I don't, you know, I'm not trained like you are as as far as like just trying to start off with a question to see where people are at. Like, Hey, how are you feeling about this? Or what are you thinking about that? Just, and then just letting them talk. And then I have a, a feel for where, where they're at on things. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the, the most important thing about asking permission is that you're building a safe environment for a, a conversation. And if there's not a safe way or a safe space and I don't necessarily mean like not having spikes on the ground chip. I just want you to know, like, I mean like a comfortable (laughs) conversation. If there's no comfort there, you're never going to share any kind of connection and you're going to always have an adversarial conversation where it's always you and pointing fingers versus that internal introspection. Right. As a therapist, you typically don't want to think about yourself. You want to always reflect onto the client. And so if your client is showing you that they're frustrated with you, we have to remember this isn't ever about me. This is always about how can I help my client dig deeper inside. See, that's why I would make a terrible therapist is because (laughs) I'm always, I'm always just thinking about me, you know, so um, they they would be talking to me. Well, enough about you. Let me tell you about me. Yeah, you're like, and why why do you keep whining? This is really my time. And, but that's the thing, Chip. I know that's not true about you. You're just a a closet, you're a closeted, introspective guy because you're a leader and leaders don't just think of themselves. In fact, they think of everyone else first. They just get to get all the praise when the group does well. So you're just, you're just hiding. Uh, I'm just hiding. I'm just hiding behind the, uh, the, the mask. Well, we'll be right back with that awesome interview with Mallory DeSalle. But now it's time for fun facts. A new section I'm adding to the show just to um, add a little more content. And uh, sometimes the facts will be about humor. Sometimes it'll be about laughter. Sometimes they might not be about nothing. But this week, it is about laughter. Um, fun fact. 
laughter is attractive. A research by Dr. Robert Provine found that women laugh 126% more than men in cross-gender conversations, with men preferring to be the one prompting the laughter. <laughs> no, no kidding. Uh, in a review in more than 3,700 newspaper personal ads, Dr. Provine revealed that women were 62% more likely to mention laughter, including seeking a mate with a sense of humor, while men were more likely to offer humor in their ads. So there you go, you know. Um, Need a date? Learn a joke. So, you got a fun fact you want to share? Email me at chip at unconventionalleader. I would love to share it on the show. So let's get back to that interview with Mallory DeSalle. Um, so, so it, when you go out and train these people, because I like that whole motivational interviewing, you know, thing. Yeah. And I meant to bring that up really because I, I remember seeing it on your um, your bio and stuff. Because I was like, oh, I got to talk to Mallory about this because that is so interesting. Um, so is it a, a whole process that you know, like a format that you give them on what to do? So like, you know, what you just gave right there was like maybe the like the first step, um, and then there's other steps after that. So it's it. I wish I could say it was that easy and there's just like three steps and then you have, you know, set it and forget it. It's the yeah. Ronco Peel in my machine. It, it's like any other technical skill. Things go wrong. Things go as you plan. Things don't go as you plan. But what we want people to have skills in are one, setting up your environment to where it's safe to talk. We also want people to have skills that help demonstrate that they hear and can show empathy towards their client or partner or whomever they're speaking with. Mm -hmm. And third, we always want the person using motivational interviewing to be focusing towards change. Um, and, and that's important because you have to listen to what that person keeps saying about what is this change that they want to talk about and how can I evoke more of that thought process? Because at the end of the day, we really just want clients to talk themselves into change not the counselor to talk them into change That's so you're, you're not talking about like change that i want you're talking about like if we're in a conversation and i'm in the power position we're not talking about the change that i want you're talking about discussing the change that the person i'm talking to wants trying to kind of like lure that out of them evoke that out of them a little bit and you know and uh let them maybe like uh see it for what it is and what steps they need to take to get there that's exactly right. Oh, so, okay. All right. Beautiful. So it's not the leader says, hey, I want you to do this and I'm going to trick you into saying it. It's the leader saying, I know that you have this within you. How can we get it to come out? Mm -hmm. And nice. sometimes it takes noticing and affirming from a leader to increase the chance that someone is willing to take the risk. So saying, you know, I do want to do that or I do want to try that. Or maybe it's listening for the nuance in our conversation, things like, wow, I've never really thought about it like that, but yeah, I really would like to X, Y, and Z. And that's when we can use our empathy to say, that surprises you, and yet you're really thinking this might be the time for you to take a first step. Now, what if you don't like the person you're talking to? Mm. I mean, like, as you know, well, I want to put it like this. What if, um, say, e emotions get in the way that a lot of times, say, maybe you've had a bad or inner, uh, as, you know, as superior or subordinate, 
you know, maybe you had a bad interaction with that person before they say something that trick, you know, triggers something in you. Cause I found that a lot of times, like when our, the beginning part of our discussion, somebody comes at me with, Oh, I really don't like this. A lot of times I might be defensive or maybe I'm emotionally tied to whatever it is we're talking about. And it, I'm so close to it emotionally that, um, I, I might get a little angry as we're discussing it. I mean, how do you deal with things like that? Well, I mean, do I appear like I don't like you? I mean, I'm pretty good at faking this. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. no, I love you, Chip. Um, the truth is, is that it's not going to work every time because uh-huh. you're absolutely right. It, it sounds like in a perfect world, somebody comes at you and you're able to take a deep breath and go, wow, that was hard for you. Absolutely not. That takes an extreme amount of self um, practice and mm-hmm. uh, mindfulness when it comes to responding. It can happen though by teaching yourself to really listen to what they're saying under the words and not just hearing the con the concepts or the content. If someone comes at you and says, "You really, you really were frustrating to me because in the meeting you wouldn't let me say my idea," you can hear you, 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 or you can hear what they're saying is I had a really important idea and it didn't get airtime. Mm -hmm. And depending on what you choose to hear or what you choose to listen to, that's going to influence how your body reacts. You have to really take the decision of let me look at their intention and not necessarily their outcome. And if you are able to mindfully do that, and that takes a ton of practice, then you can actually hear the good intention under their message. And that's not easy. It just isn't. No. Which is why you can't just go to one training and all of a sudden be an MI guru. You you are literally learning <laughs> the rest of your life. An MI guru. I am an MIG, MI guru. I am an MI ninja. <laughs> um, well, what I like about that is because I'm a firm believer that any conversation, there's what's said, there's what's heard, there's what what's meant. And very rarely are the same thing. And, um, what I hear you saying there is the whole, um, training yourself to really hear what's being said by the other person versus just hearing what you want to hear or hearing the, the piece where you're being attacked. I mean, just really, um, really listening to what's, you know, what's being said and what's not being said in that conversation, which yeah, is a, is definitely a learned skill. Absolutely. That is hard stuff. And the cool thing about it is, say you mess up, say you totally take the defensive and say, well, that's bullcrap and and you didn't speak up and you just sat there on your hands. How am I supposed to know? Uh Say say you respond like that. You can still go back and fix that with an opportunity to come back to it. And I can give you an example of recently a colleague and I saw the same exact experience that something that was very innocent in my opinion, really hurt their feelings. And I then felt attacked because I thought, well, you think I'm hurting your feelings. That that hurts my feelings. And what ended up happening was we were both hurting each other's feelings because neither of us were able to step back and go, wow, I just need to go, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt. Uh-huh. Wow, I'm sorry your feelings are hurt. Wow, is it possible that we could both see the same situation differently? Well, yeah, because we're human and we, needed about 24 hours before we were able to come back in the room together. And then once we did, we hugged it out. We really did. But it comes with the willingness to say, gosh, I really messed up yesterday. I wasn't listening to you. Mm-hmm. I think you had something important to say. And I was hoping now would be a time you would share it with me. 
Yeah, I'm not sure I'm going to hug it out with anybody. Okay, well, fine. But um, maybe a Zoom hug. I'm hugging you right now. You can't see it. But I'm it's, hugging it's, you. That's a big. It's a virtual hug. High five. I'm I'm feeling very I'm feeling Emoji very, it out. I don't know. very warm and fuzzy right now. Um, <laughs> that's that's the whatever's in your cup. I don't know. <laughs> so, and it's it's cool that to to hear that even the people that are the professionals, the gurus on this, you know, still have issue. I mean, not issues, but things that come up where oh, you know what? I need to apply the things that I know. Um, to this situation because like you said we're human beings everybody makes mistakes they're gonna be miscommunications along the way no matter how smart you are you know people get you know their um, sometimes their panties in a bunch about something that really isn't any anything right no a hundred percent and recently I had family pictures taken chip and I looked at the picture and I thought wow many people look at my family and they they say that looks like just a, a great handsome family and I think, well, you know, there's me. I, I live with anxiety disorder and major depression. There's my child who, who had some learning disabilities. There's my other child with school anxiety. There's my other child who's thinking about transitioning. There's my husband who puts up with all of us. And I don't know how that's feasible without medication. And, and that's the thing. There's something going on in everyone's head their heart there's a lot going on in the below the iceberg and right. it's it's okay to acknowledge that all of us could have struggles and that's why we can't expect perfection in every conversation we just want to keep trying to connect connect is far better than perfect right they see that's where like social media like perpetuates the big lie, you know, oh. where everybody puts all their happy things on there, which, you know, for some people it just <laughs> makes them more depressed. They're like, <laughs> like, I hate, I hate those people. They're always so happy eating Oreos and oh. dri driving in Porsches, you know, <laughs> Seriously, I, I almost put up a pre photo shoot, photo shoot of me screaming at my children in pantyhose with my stomach roll over the top, my kid's hair all ratty, my son smelling like an 11 year old and my husband saying, there's a photo shoot today. You know, that would have been the accurate photo shoot, like me cussing on the way to the photo shoot in the car, like get your bleepity bleep in the car. We're going to smile and be a happy family. Darn it. That would be so great. That, that, would been, that, that would have been a great pre and post picture. You know what I mean? Because those are the things we really remember. I mean, with like the, the oh, nice yeah. pictures, like, oh, we look back and we say, oh, that's a beautiful picture of our family. But what we really remember is all the bullshit that led up to that. Oh, my gosh. It's so true. My daughter slammed her finger in the door on the way to get a Christmas tree this year. And I said, suck it up. We're getting a tree. You know, this is what we do. We we just make it through. Now, you said that you know you do use a lot of humor in the work that you do. So, how do you um, yeah. apply some of the you know, when you're out there training people and you know looking for some takeaways for our listeners on things that they can use to um, uh, make humor a part of their lives as well? What are some things that you um, use as an applicator of uh, humor? So, anytime I trip up. I call myself out on it and I start laughing. Uh, that's, that's a big one. Mm -hmm. uh, everyone gets permission to flub and fall in my trainings. We talk about, I want you to challenge yourself to fail today and then laugh at yourself. 
because I want people to get comfortable with making mistakes and pushing themselves to feel okay after we make a mistake mm -hmm. because that's really when we learn. Um, I use jokes, uh, setups, and punchlines to match people to make new partnerships. So I have my little joke cards and they have to wander around the room till they find their other half and then they get to tell the joke. I say, now everyone's a comedian. That is, I really like that technique. So you've got like the setup and, you know, the setup on one card and the punchline yep. on another card. And so yes. they actually got to find the, um, cause sometimes maybe the joke would be even funnier if they found the wrong punchline <laughs> to the setup. I know. I mean? So we always check it at the end. Uh, and then sometimes it's like, nope, that's the wrong one. But hey, that actually worked. Good job. <laughs> find, that's what a, partner. <laughs> what a great, what a great strategy for breaking the ice and have a little bit of fun um, in a, in a yeah. classroom setting. That is a great strategy. Yeah, it's, it's really fun. And everyone says they like comedy. And it's also a way to break the tension with having to talk to a stranger and or talking in a large group. So after they've done it, I say, guess what you've just done? The scariest thing to most people is public speaking. And all of you have accomplished it already. It's only 945 in the morning. All right. So nice. now all we have to do is have some more uncomfortable conversations and we can go home. Perfect. Beautiful. And the other thing that you said that I liked was that um, you laugh at yourself first, which when like when you're in a classroom setting, you're the you're the person in the power position. And, mm -hmm. you know, when you do that, it gives permission for everybody else to kind of um, relax a little bit, too, that if you can laugh at yourself, then they have permission to laugh at themselves. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that's a lot, uh, something that a lot of people miss out on that when, you know, they're in the power position, they'll make other people the butt of the joke, which then, you know, kind of constricts the atmosphere. But, you know, if you laugh at yourself, it, it, uh, it uh, expands the atmosphere and gives people a little more room to be themselves. I agree with you, Chip, because it's dangerous as a trainer when you make a participant a butt of the joke, because even though at the time everyone might think, oh, that's so funny, somewhere in their unconscious, they're thinking, what if I'm next? Mm -hmm. What if I'm the next person that she pokes fun at or makes fun of for doing it inaccurately? Mm -hmm. And that is not an environment that's safe to learn or make mistakes or to take big risks. And, and so I, I always try and point out when I mess up or I'll even go like, well, clearly I need a few more practices, you know, mm -hmm. and I'll just say it like that. And um, I, I like to tell stories in the training and get real personal. And I even say things like, here's my perspective as a client. Here's my perspective as the professional, mm -hmm. because we also need to just show that just because I'm in that leader position today doesn't mean I'm always in that position. And I might have a different opinion from the different hat I'm wearing. Right. Absolutely. That's good stuff. Any other things that you like to do, you know, humor wise, because I'm both... I've, like I'm taking, I'm taking notes on the, the one that the uh, joke in the punchline one, that is a fat, that is so awesome. I'd never <laughs> thought about doing that before. Cause there'd be like, cause the possibilities would be endless. And to me, oh like the wrong, the wrong punchline with the setup would sometimes, like you said, be even funnier. That would be hilarious. Why did the chicken cross the road? You know, and, and some like, other like stupid. It doesn't live in salt water. What? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. Remind me of the jokes I used to tell my brother yeah. when I was like five. It's, I used to make up these stupid jokes and 
Oh yeah. When I was four years old, my mom said I started a joke book and it really was like every rendition of why did the chicken cross the road? But it was like, why did the penguin cross the road? Why did the turkey cross the road? And it was always a, a nonsensical reason, like, because the alligator stole its seat, you know, it's like, what, what, <clears throat> what? I, I don't know. So I, I try and remind people to play during my trainings. I use, um, a ball that has a microphone in it. So we toss a ball to each other and they speak into the microphone in the ball instead of a handheld mic. Nice. Um, we use um, pipe cleaners. Every training I ever do, we use pipe cleaners for people who learn best by moving their body. Mm -hmm. And I tell them, I promise, I won't analyze what you make, I promise. Um, so <laughs> it's, I say, but I don't know about your colleagues. They're therapists too, and they might. But I don't know. <laughs> it's like sometimes a pipe cleaner is just a pipe cleaner. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> well, you can really define the kind of learners you have based on how they use the pipe cleaners. You have the participants who then sort them out in colors. Mm -hmm. And so then you're like, okay, those are the structured people. I can, I can work with that. Then you have the people that walk around the room looking for specific colors. And those are the very self-directed, intrinsic drived people then there's the people that like ball them up and throw them away and they don't they don't appreciate as much play and so you just use those pipe cleaners for a little bit of personality assessment too it's it's good stuff <laughs> oh man that sounds um sounds pretty awesome yeah, um yeah i want to go through your training now and i did not know that you could um <laughs> you could tell who people were by what they do with pipe cleaners. Um, yeah, it's almost, it's better than, it's, it's better than a Myers-Briggs right there. I mean, who, right. needs, who needs the MBTI or the disc when you got pipe cleaners? That's what I'm saying. Exactly. I can call out an ESTJ just by looking at whether or not you twist it X or, or Y or make it into a fruit basket. I got that. I can do Beautiful. That. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have really enjoyed talking to you today. Um, great information. Great things for me to think about, you know, only, not only my own personal relationships and how I deal with, you know, some of the uh, people in, in my life on, you know, trying to get to the bottom of some situations, if uh, the situation might be a little bit uh, tricky. Um, and also, the, you know, as a, as a trainer myself, some of the application of how to use humor in those different settings, you know, great stuff, great stuff. Now, um, if after today, people want to connect with you, they want to know who Mallory, Mallory is, um, <laughs> where do you want them to go? Well, you can just reach me on email, which is mdesal, M-D-E-S-A-L-L-E, at indiana.edu. Um, or you could find me on LinkedIn. I'm just Mallory DeSal on LinkedIn or Malgal DeSal on Twitter. I know, I got to rhyme. Is, gotta that rhyme. is, that is rhyme Because so, I'm, I'm, and I'm going to tell you right now that, um, you know, and I'll, I'll put the setup on here that for the listeners before we started, um, you know, Mallory was sharing with me that, you know, when she was young, she created up like an awesome limerick in fourth grade. And that's kind of <laughs> what I wanted to end with because it was such a great limerick. I thought, Hey, the world needs to know this. And plus, I also think that your joke book that, um, you had, you certainly, if you haven't gotten that published, you should, you absolutely should. Cause that sounds, sounds like something that I would definitely buy. Um, yeah. It's yeah. like a page. <laughs> well, then we could have a lot of pictures in there on it. It's, so it's going to need it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. I will definitely give you my limerick and, uh, it, 
it is Mrs. Kletchka, be proud, my fourth grade teacher. Um, there once was a girl named Mallory who had a very big salary. She said, I have money, I'll go buy some honey and eat it in the gallery. Woo! That was fantastic. Fourth that grader. was, uh, yeah, it makes me want to do my own limerick. There once was a kid named Chip who everybody thought was a dip. And I'll have to make up the rest of it later. Yeah, anyway. yeah. Yeah, I'll, to, I'll, I'll, I will share that with you at the conference in April. Perfect. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again for spending some time with me today. Thank you for having me. And I look forward to seeing you at the AATH conference in April in Chicago. Me too. What did I tell you? Great interview with Mallory. Um, you could you could just feel her energy and her personality come through in that conversation. So much fun. I really enjoyed talking to her. Um, hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Check her out. Email her. Connect with her on LinkedIn. I'm going to encourage you to uh, go to the AATH website, aath.org. Check us out if you're not already a member. Uh, check out coming to the conference in April. Like I said, you want to meet cool people? You'll meet cool people like Mallory. So until next time, this is Chip Blood saying we'll keep the laugh on for you. This is LaughBox, <laughs> the podcast for laughter and humor professionals. LaughBox is made possible by a grant from the National Speakers Foundation and is brought to you by AATH, the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Find out more at aath.org. Be sure to review LaughBox on iTunes. For show notes and more information about today's conversation, visit laughbox.aath.org.